Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. If you're new to this whole world of baby led weaning and starting solid foods, you might still be on the fence as to whether this approach is going to work for you. And if that's the case, I want to send you my free feeding guide called Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby? This is a guide that contains a decision tree map that you can work your way through to determine if this is the right approach for you guys and then when it's time to start. Grab your copy of Will Baby Led Weaning Work for My Baby on my website at babyledweaning.co slash resources. Basically, it's that idea that it's a way of feeding children that's very responsive to what the child is bringing to the table. So part of that is their expressions of hunger and fullness. When a baby is hungry, knowing that they're rooting and gnawing on their fist or getting fussy, knowing that when a baby is full, they're slowing their pace of feeding and looking satisfied and settling down a bit. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding, leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby led weaning. Well, hello and welcome back. My guest today is Allison Ventura. She's a PhD researcher at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo in California. And Dr. Ventura has recently been looking at responsive bottle feeding techniques in her research and then analyzing how those impact infant and child health down the road. So whether you're pumping and feeding breast milk out of a bottle or formula feeding formula out of a bottle, if you are bottle feeding, there are a few techniques you can employ to Get and stay connected with your baby when feeding, but also be listening to and looking for and responding to your baby's hunger and fullness cues. And Allison's team has found that the responsive bottle feeding techniques that she's going to be talking about today have been shown to help prevent rapid weight gain in infancy. And in this interview, she's going to talk a little bit about responsive bottle feeding as a technique. And personally, the reason I'm so passionate about responsive feeding techniques across the board, be it if you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding or doing solid foods, is when you look at baby led weaning, if you ask me, that's the ultimate responsive feeding method. But at the same time, your baby is learning how to eat solid foods. You're also still providing nutrition from infant milk, right? Be that breast milk or infant formula. So we want to be consistent in the larger responsive parenting realm so that we're successfully helping to foster what will eventually become independent eating in our children. So with no further ado, here is Dr. Allison Ventura talking about healthy bottle feeding and how to be a responsive bottle feeder. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, could you share a little bit about your background, the work that you do in infant feeding and starting solid foods in particular? Sure. So I'm currently an associate professor of kinesiology and public health at the California Polytechnic State University. But how I got to this place was I have a training in psychology as well as a a master's in nutrition and a doctorate in human development and family studies. So I combine those degrees um, in thinking about early feeding interactions. I'm particularly interested in parents and parenting and really 
how they are interacting with their young children during mealtimes and how that might be influencing the development of eating behaviors and dietary preferences and ultimately health outcomes. I've always just been really interested in um, not only how parents influence their children, but how children influence their parents. So what's kind of the back and forth that's happening early on that's really shaping both who the parent is as a a parent, but also the the child and their outcomes. So I'm particularly interested in, in infant feeding and thinking about you know, breastfeeding, bottle feeding, and the introduction to solid foods, because it is such a important time for prevention, right? We know this is when all these early habits and, and preferences are are really starting. And I've always just really connected with the idea of, of prevention and helping families during this really sensitive window where the parents are learning so much right alongside their baby. And so how can we really support parents during this exciting but overwhelming time when they need so much support and education and just how can we meet parents where they where they are to give them the support they need within their specific family context. And I was looking at your CV and preparing for the interview. I thought it was so interesting, like your kind of the combination of, okay, psychology background, but also nutrition. And then your PhD is in early childhood development. Is that correct? It's actually human development and family studies. That's so, so interesting. About yeah, not only how we develop, but like family interactions, like what are these things that happen within our families that really shape who we are? And I love what you said that it is sometimes like the babies who are changing us as parents. And we routinely will hear from parents who are like, Katie, listen, I never gave to you know what's about what I ate before I was either pregnant and then having to kind of shape up because I'm building a new life or now this baby's here. Okay, first six months, fine. But now we're starting solid foods. And I have to think really critically about, oh my gosh, we eat takeout every day or fast food. And and that's certainly fine, but but babies can't eat that. And we know that. And so we have a lot of parents like, hey, I just kind of want to do a reset. And so I just, I love getting to speak with other feeding experts such as yourself. And I know this idea that we're going to talk about today, responsive feeding, kind of a newer term, maybe some of our listeners are hoping to hear more about. So I wanted to ask you, what is responsive feeding? And then if you don't mind adding in, how are responsive feeding practices in infancy linked to health outcomes later in life? Sure. Yeah, so responsive feeding really has been becoming more of a buzzword and we're seeing it more and more in our infant feeding guidelines and the education, but it is a term that might be a little bit fuzzy if you're not you know, familiar with the jargon. So basically it's that idea that it's a way of feeding children that's very responsive to what the child is bringing to the table. So part of that is their expressions of hunger and fullness. So making sure that as parents and caregivers, We understand the ways that young children communicate that they're hungry and full because we know that's not always through words because babies don't have those words. So when a baby is hungry, knowing that they're rooting and gnawing on their fist or getting fussy, uh, knowing that when a baby is full, they're slowing their pace of feeding and looking satisfied and, and settling down a bit, being able to know these cues, recognize them, and then feed in response to them. That is really the essence of responsive feeding. But more broadly, it's also understanding what's developmentally appropriate. Like what can we expect at different stages and understanding that feeding is not just about getting calories and vitamins and minerals into our children, but it's a lot more than that, right? That feeding is also a time for socio-emotional growth fostering, for cognitive growth fostering, for making eye contact, relationship building, communicating our culture to our children. And so I think responsive feeding really represents this appreciation for 
number one, what children bring to the table and that they are a valuable partner in any feeding interaction that they should be watched and listened to and responded to, but also appreciating just the broader significance of feeding as a place for learning and relationship building. I love the idea of bringing the kids to the table. And that's one of the tenets of baby led weaning. I teach, uh, I'm a dietitian and I teach at San Diego State University as well in our nutrition program. And I teach a cultural foods class. And one of the assignments that we do is kind of looking at analyzing the transition to solid foods around the world in different food cultures. And that we're the only one that really like shoves an arbitrary amount of pureed commercial packaged food into baby's mouth and says like, this is how we start solid foods. And so I think this idea of like, studying the way other cultures start the transition to solid foods is so important and something that's really overlooked in our society. We, we celebrate so many things, but we don't celebrate the transition to solid foods. And so I love this idea of kind of celebrating the baby's place at the table. Yeah. And I mean, it should be a, a really fun time when there there's just a, so much learning that's going on for the parent about their child, but the child about their family as well. And so we really want to be able to protect that, the the significance of that. So what about this idea of linking it yeah, down the road? Like, obviously, it sounds great to like listen to your child, but like, is it tied to any particular health outcomes as far as you know? Yeah, so we can think about this in a number of different domains, right? So if we think about the actual nutritional outcomes, so thinking about the development of eating behaviors and dietary patterns, it's thought that responsive feeding primarily is really important for supporting abilities to self-regulate. And what this means is the ability to eat when hungry and stop when full. We think this is really important, right? That ultimately we would hope this for everybody that we're really good at knowing when we need to eat, eating the right amount, and then feeling when we're full and stopping eating when we're full. And many of the issues that many of us have with food and our current food environment is that there's so much food. There are so many opportunities to eat. We eat when we're not hungry, but because food is available or it looks delicious and all these types of eating behaviors are linked to overeating and uh, obesity. And so ideally with responsive feeding, we are trying to provide some resilience against that because we're teaching babies when you're hungry, you feel it. And this is what hunger feels like. And what you do in response to that sensation is eat. When you're full, this is what fullness feels like. And, and when you feel that, you should stop eating. And when we have a context that's really supportive of that, we would hope that a child would develop the ability to really kind of understand how to eat in response to their needs instead of in response to maybe other non-food related needs like emotions or tiredness or all these other emotional eating contexts. And emerging research is linking responsive feeding to healthier weight gain patterns for babies as well. But then more broadly, there are other, other benefits too. As I mentioned, we know that responsive parenting, there's a lot, decades of research supporting the importance of responsive parenting for children's outcomes that parents who are responsive to their children's emotions and responding in ways that are developmentally appropriate have children who better learn how to manage their stress and respond to negative emotions and you know regulate their emotions in healthy ways. So responsive feeding can really be seen as a, a facet of responsive parenting and really having parents support children in the ways that they need to develop all these important life skills that set a really healthy foundation for their future. What does the term responsive bottle feeding mean then? And what does it mean to be a responsive bottle feeder? 
Yeah. So a lot of our research is, is really focused on this facet of feeding. Um, and I'll, I'll just give you a little background that we traditionally think of responsive feeding in the context of breastfeeding because it's such like a, a central message to breastfeeding of like recognizing your baby's cues and um, feeding in response to those because during breastfeeding, we don't have these contextual cues around how much is being offered and how much is consumed and how much is left. So for breastfeeding, it's a really natural complement of like teaching about baby's cues and responding to those cues. And we know that's, that's a really important support for breastfeeding. But we've really tried to take a lot of those great messages that are conveyed within breastfeeding education and apply those to bottle feeding because, you know, bottle feeding parents need, need this education as well. And so responsive bottle feeding would really be what I described related to responsive feeding is if you're bottle feeding, you're, you're still responding to your baby's cues. You're still initiating the feeding when your baby's showing hunger cues. You're pacing the feeding in response to the behavioral cues your baby is displaying. And you're ending the feeding when the baby displays satiation cues. And this is maybe counter to some messaging around bottle feeding, which is often focused on how much to put in the bottle and how much you should expect your baby to eat and how frequently you should feed, which all of those are, are kind of just prescriptive. And it might be different for each baby and for each day. And again, these are things we often talk about with breastfeeding is some days your baby might eat a little, some days your baby might eat a lot, some days your baby might cluster feed. And all those things can happen with bottle feeding too, if if we're following our babies and their cues and what they're telling us they need. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. We, it's so funny because in the second half of infancy, when you start solid foods, we always tell parents, hey, it's the same baby. Like nothing changed here. You got to employ that same skill set and same thing. When parents are like, can you please tell me exactly what the portion sizes are for a six and nine and 12 month old? I was like, no, they're arbitrary. They're made up. They're prescriptive. When you see them, someone just pulled them out of thin air. Your baby is going to eat a lot of one thing one day, nothing the next day, act like they've never seen it, love the thing that they hated yesterday and so on and so forth. It's the same baby. So there's really no hard and fast rules about how much you should have. And you're right with bottle feeding. I mean, obviously, a lot of times, and I know this as a parent of seven kids, I was never able to exclusively breastfeed any of my babies. And I always relied on pumping and formula and bottle feeding and like, well, about how much can I expect them to eat? But of course, you know, every baby is different. But as a parent, especially if you're not breastfeeding, you're like, I've always feeling guilty about it. Like I want to do as good of a job as I can. 
So even I find myself as a dietitian looking up the charts and, you know, Kelly mom or whatever, how much are they supposed to have when they're this old? Just to see like, am I kind of close? But I, you can see for a lot of parents how that could kind of spiral into, oh my gosh, I'm not doing a good enough job. And there's already so much pressure around feeding your baby that I love the idea of responsive feeding and telling parents to kind of go back to listening to your baby. Now you mentioned like some of the things that are, I'm not saying not responsive, but could you give us examples? I remember seeing at the California WIC Association a couple of years, they did a a pre-conference and they were showing some videos of like, and obviously they had staged these, but like non-responsive bottle feeding, like mom's on her phone. She's like trying to force the baby to finish the things like Obviously, it's being dramatic, but can you give ideas of things that are not responsive that we would maybe want to steer clear of? Yeah. So you you provided some great examples, but I think feeding on a schedule would be one, expecting a baby to eat every two or three hours, and then also encouraging the baby to eat more. So sometimes we see that parents are concerned if there's still milk left in the bottle and might try to encourage their baby to finish it. We might especially see this with express breast milk, right? Because that's liquid gold. We don't want to waste any of it. So encouraging the baby to continue feeding, even if they're showing rejection or you know fullness cues would be non-responsive feeding. We would also consider you know, using food to soothe the baby to a certain extent, a form of non-responsive feeding, because although we're responding to the baby, we're not responding in a way that's appropriate for their needs. So if we have a baby who's fussy because they um, are just overstimulated or they're tired. If we're using food to soothe those emotions, then we're, we're feeding in a way that's not connected to the actual feeling of hunger. And so that would be outside of our, our definition of responsive bottle feeding. So those are some of the key ways. In, in, it all comes down to feeding in a way that's not directly connected to the baby expressing hunger and fullness. And not making that nice connection between when you're hungry and you stop when you're full, but rather feeding in response to other things such as the time of day or the amount that's left in the bottle or how we're feeling the emotions that we might need to deal with. So I was really excited when your latest article came out. It was published in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which all dietitians get. So anytime we have all the Google alerts set up for baby led weaning and responsive feeding and good. I'm glad we're seeing more and more about this. And your particular study was talking about promoting responsive bottle feeding in WIC. So could you tell us a little bit about your experience working with WIC? First, also just inform us what WIC is for those who may not be familiar with the program. And then what's WIC doing to promote responsive bottle feeding as an institution? So uh, WIC stands for the Special Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program for Women, Infant, and Children. And so it's a federally funded program, our tax dollars go to support WIC. And the charge of WIC is to really provide nutritional support to the most vulnerable, which are our low-income mother and infants. Uh, We know that pregnant women and new mothers and young infants have really high nutritional demands. It's really important that they eat well during these sensitive windows of development. So WIC was really designed to target that and make sure that these low-resource families get the resources they need to have um, healthy foods to feed themselves and their children to support, you know, the best health outcomes that that we can. And WIC serves really large number of, of families. And so we know it's a really important target for intervention because they have a huge reach. WIC provides really robust breastfeeding support, but they also provide formula for families who are, you know, partially breastfeeding or, or fully formula feeding. And actually, the majority of WIC families are giving formula to their babies. So even though there are really robust efforts to promote breastfeeding, the reality is that 
the majority of WIC families are bottle feeding. And so we've always been interested in working with WIC to support them in making sure that they are supporting bottle feeding well and educating their families in the way that they need. And I've kind of noticed in our work with them, and I think they've noticed too, that there is almost in some instances a lack of support for bottle feeding because nobody wants to compromise breastfeeding, right? And almost a fear of like, if you talk about bottle feeding, if you support healthy bottle feeding, that means that you're taking away the support that could be provided towards breastfeeding. So we've been trying to work with with clinics on that and trying to understand how we can kind of balance that a little bit. Like, let's really protect our support for breastfeeding because we know that's so important. We really want to support all families in meeting their breastfeeding goals. But if the reality is that many families are still bottle feeding, let's support them too. Let's make sure we have really good social support and educational materials and whatever these families need to, to support healthy bottle feeding. And we know this is really important because research shows us that these bottle fed babies, formula fed babies are at greater risk for rapid weight gain and overfeeding. And, you know, they, they are at higher risk for obesity later on. So that's just that they do need support to figure out what's going on, you know, how is, how is bottle feeding different and how can we provide them with the support they need to feed their babies well. So what we've been doing, we've been working with the LA County WIC program to think about this issue and, and how, you know, we can change some of what's going on with clinics to provide additional support for bottle feeding families. And they were particularly interested in, in this issue as well, because they were seeing that formula feeding families were dropping out of the program earlier than their breastfeeding families. We did some qualitative work with families to understand why. And some of what they told us was that they were feeling stigmatized for their feeding choices, that if they weren't breastfeeding, then they weren't getting as much support from WIC. They felt like once their formula benefits ended, that there was less of a reason for them to come to WIC because that was mainly what they were getting. And they just felt like they weren't getting what they needed from WIC. And we know from other research too, that bottle feeding families feel like they're under supported, that there's not great resources for them. They're not getting the education that they need. So we really wanted to address this and, and make sure that both breastfeeding and bottle feeding families were getting the support they needed. So we developed an intervention where part of what we did was to increase the amount of education available to these bottle feeding families. And a lot of it was messages around responsive bottle feeding. So helping make sure that not only were the breastfeeders learning about infant cues, but bottle feeders were learning this too, that there was emphasis on the importance of feeding in response to infant cues, even during bottle feeding. And then we also revamped the assessments they were doing with WIC so that they could better highlight potential bottle feeding issues. So instead of just searching for breastfeeding problems and how to address those problems, we made sure that the WIC staff were really well equipped to ask questions around how frequently are you feeding? What are you putting in the bottle? How are you deciding when to start feeding? How are you deciding when to stop feeding? So that they could identify when families perhaps were feeding on a schedule or not responding to baby's cues or encouraging their baby to finish the bottle and so that then they could provide the education those families needed. And we found that the intervention worked. It helped reduce risk for rapid weight gain for the babies who were exposed to it. And it was particularly helpful for the families with the fussiest babies. So these families who are maybe feeding to soothe their babies and feeding their babies more frequently, that those families 
did less food use of food to soothe and they were feeding their babies less frequently and they had babies who had that lower risk for rapid weight gain. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Well, if you're into true crime and you also dig traveling, I want to tell you about a new podcast you are going to love. The new podcast is called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that all take place on vacation. So the show is hosted by a true crime fanatic and her comedy writer husband, and he has a TV producing partner. So Slaycation brings a totally unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, what the heck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong from the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, their two recently engaged lovebirds, whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended up underwater. Every episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that will intrigue you. I think you're going to love the discussion between the longtime married couple and the business partners. They also happen to be an Emmy-nominated TV producer's Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can we talk a little bit about this idea of not feeding on a schedule? Because I know that's going to be news to a lot of parents' ears because they're coming out of an era where they go on social media and they see all the sleep training people. And this is exactly what the sleep schedule looks like. And this is what the body, you get the baby on a schedule, get the baby on a schedule. And how do you deal with that? Because sleep is not the same as feeding. And we should not be feeding babies on a schedule because every day their needs are different. How do you teach that to families when they're coming in just so ingrained of this idea of the schedule is, you know, schedule rules everything around me. It's tough, right? And um, that's part of what maybe preserves some family's sanity is to have a schedule, have some predictability during a time where life is just very unpredictable and changing day to day. So it, it is, I empathize for sure. And I, I have two sons of my own. So I, I've been through it too. And, and now that it was a tough time. And so part of my hopeful thinking of, of what we can support families to achieve is getting the the support they need to be able to roll with the unpredictability, right? If we have families who have other supports, whether it's in-laws or doulas or um, someone could, who can help them kind of manage the stress of managing a household with a, a young infant um, or managing their lives so that they can be a little more relaxed and go with the flow of their infant, I think that's one potential approach. And perhaps emphasizing just how important this is, although it may be rough for you, it is really important for your infant to be able to lead things for a while while, while they're sorting them out. And that, so I know there has been some work looking at stress management approaches, relaxation training, some of these ways that we can help parents to just kind of deal with the negative emotions or the stress that might come with the the day-to-day of, you know, adjusting to having young infant will hopefully help with that transition to being able to come off your schedule a little bit and deal with unpredictability so you can let your baby lead the way. So let's talk about that when we move into the transition to solid foods. What are some responsive feeding practices that 
parents and caregivers can employ. We've talked about responsive feeding on the podcast, but like you said, it's a little bit like the word fuzzy that you used. So I just like to ask every researcher and practitioner and parent, you know, what is it that you think would be ideal? And especially as a mom of two kids and knowing that like sometimes when the kids are screaming and you're like not being the best version of yourself, stop, take a breath and be like, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? It's hard to remember. What are these things we should be doing during that transition to solid foods? Yeah, well, I agree with the statement you made earlier. If it's the same baby, just a different context, right? So like remembering all of these great skills that were hopefully picked up during breast or bottle feeding in terms of listening to cues and watching your baby and making sure that they have an active seat at the table, right? Where they're they're really communicating what you need, their needs and and are responding to it. A lot of those same messages apply to solid foods because we really do want to make sure that this is continued practice for the baby to understand how to eat when hungry and stop when full and not feel external pressures to you know, eat three bites and clean your plate and you know eat, eat that amount that someone else is expecting you to because those are problematic feeding practices too. And I think especially during the transition to solid foods, you know, keeping it light and communicating the the message that like this is a learning experience. So really your baby isn't getting a ton of calories from solids early on. This is a time for them to learn about flavors and textures. And again, communicate your culture to them through the foods you're offering, um, making sure that they're seeing mom and dad and brother and sister and grandma and grandpa or whoever's at the table, they're seeing what they're eating. And then they're seeing I'm eating the same thing, right? That social social learning is really important. So like all of this, I think there comes a degree of willingness to trust that it's all going to be fine and willingness to trust that your baby's going to tell you what they need and you really need to understand how to hear them and you know how to respond to them it's the same same messages when we're thinking about the transition to solid foods one of the things i loved about your article in the journal um, for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics was there was a link to a video that i then went and looked up that you guys had posted on i think it was on your cal poly website showing responsive bottle feeding in practice. And it's like, you can talk about it till you're blue in your face, but, and this is a podcast, so we do talk about things till we're blue in the face, but then to actually like see the mom employing these different things, the way you guys kind of marked that video up was really, really cool. So I'm definitely going to share a link to that, but where can our audience go to learn more about your work? Yeah, so our website is a a great place. Um, Our lab has a website where we share a lot of these materials and it's healthykids.calpoly.edu. I also have a website, alisonkventura.com, where I've posted materials as well. Um, so both of those can be great resources for your audience. Well, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your research and the work that you guys are doing. I think this idea of responsive feeding across infancy needs to be talked about more. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do the interview. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. So thanks for asking me to be on your show. Um, it was a great time. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Dr. Allison Ventura talking about healthy bottle feeding. I'm going to link to all of her resources because she's done a lot of work in responsive feeding, both breastfeeding, bottle feeding, solid food stuff. And we were actually talking after the interview. She reminded me that she has a really interesting line of research in history talking about the development of food preferences in babies. So she's going to come back on and talk about how babies develop food preferences, which I think will be very interesting to hear from her in that regard again. So All of the references and the resources from this particular episode will be on the show notes at blwpodcast.com slash 310. And I want to say a special thanks to our partners at Airwave Media. If you guys like podcasts that feature science and food and using your brain, 
Airwave Media has some great podcasts. Check them out online. We're online at blwpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.